it was like burning something to the ground to rebuild something much more solid, much more stable. All of that grief, I was carrying around this grief, unbeknownst to me, it was just our baggage, right? Outside of me. If you can imagine like a backpack of grief, and I opened it up and I experienced all of this stuff. And the weight of that grief, like I integrated it and it became my backbone. It became the solid skeleton of who I am today. These are the painful situations that created who I am in part today. Not that I identify as a wounded survivor. I don't. I identify as a thriver. But there were those periods of victim, survivor, and I created a whole lot of fucking chaos in survivorship. Hi, I'm Casey, and right here beside me is Kelsey. We are licensed professional counselors, mothers, entrepreneurs, oh, and besties. We know firsthand what it's like to wake up one day and think, how in the heck did I wind up here? Through our own journeys of self-discovery, we found that joy is something that has to be pursued through our own internal work. Now we are on a mission to help women from all walks of life understand themselves more so they can experience real lasting joy. Join us every Thursday to hear interviews with experts who can point you towards self-discovery and inner joy. Hey friends, this is Casey, your host of the Back Porch Bestie podcast, and I'm here again with my co-host and bestie, Kelsey. Today we have my wonderful, sweet, amazing friend, Scarlett Mulligan, who is a nationally certified physician associate specializing in psychiatry. After serving five years in the Air Force, she attended the University of Washington, graduating in 2005. Throughout her career in a variety of medical specialties, she found mental health to be her calling. She has spent many of her adult years as a mental health client, repairing the impact and disrupting the flow of intergenerational trauma. She currently resides in Clarksville, Tennessee, as the founder of Novus Behavioral Health, a group psychiatry practice. She considers her greatest achievement to be the secure attachment she has created with her two almost adult children. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I'm I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. We really wanted to talk to you about over-functioning, but... I saw where you mentioned the secure attachment and intergenerational trauma. And then I was thinking it's kind of all related to overfunctioning. So maybe if we can just talk, just start off with a little bit of chit chat about attachment. And I'm assuming that you've probably done some attachment work yourself if you are super proud that your children are securely attached. Yes, I could talk all day about attachment. I am so passionate because I feel like it is the underpinning of so much in our lives. Once people truly understand attachment styles, then they get to see it across the board in all aspects of their lives. And it's like the key that unlocks the door to so many of issues that we feel like are intangible or difficult. Once we get there and we start really sort of sifting through, then that really opens the door to so much repair work that can be done or improvements that can be made. Healing. Mm -hmm. I remember whenever I was working on this book, In Search of You, that'll come out next year. And I was 
in this chapter about attachment that came up. And I was talking about the way that we're parented influences the type of attachment we have. And it wasn't until then that I realized that growing up, I really had more of a disorganized attachment. And I think parents that are struggling with mental health issues, whether it's depression or trauma, often parent in that disorganized way and don't even realize the type of implications it has on their children. Yes. My parents were so caught up in their own suffering from their own attachment styles that I was in, I feel like families ideally would be like seated together at the proverbial table, right? I was kind of off in the kitchen or the living room of the family setting because they were so engaged in their own suffering, both what they were doing through their own disorganized attachment, he being in this particular relationship, he being avoidant, her being anxious. And then I, of course, repeat the same thing, right? I'm super disorganized attachment. Well, not super. <laughs> That's a little my anxious attachment now <laughs> where I want to embellish everything. So I show up and find someone who is rather avoidant. And then me wanting to pursue and he wanting to distance. And we just get on the, it's almost like running track. And then our kids are in the middle of the track field and they're just watching us go around and around and around. And occasionally we'll stop and catch our breath and be like, oh, there's kids. What are they doing here? You know, we're, we're caught up in our own power struggle or in our own suffering that we forget to hold space for what our children need. Because we're triggered in our own neurobiological wiring from our own childhood. In order to create that secure attachment, there had to have been a point in time where there was a shift or an understanding of maybe, not that you're doing something wrong, but maybe I want to change something. Could you tell us a little bit about if there was a turning point and where that happened? So I have what I believe to call what I what I've kind of deemed to be um, super hopeful. Here I am with the super again, but it's almost <laughs> it's like toxic levels of hope. At some point in time, we have to recognize, oh, we cannot base our relationships on hope alone. There has to be some form of action right? That ties into the hope. And so I feel like when you take hope and you add in trust and action, it becomes faith. And there was no faith in my relationship with my former spouse, the father of my children, that I I don't recall a time in our marriage where we were not with a marriage counselor. And that was like 25 years of our lives. We were two people who had no idea how to let go. And we certainly did not know how to connect from a place of health. We only had been taught how to connect from a place of pain. And at some point with this last, who is now still my current therapist, I've been with her for 10 years. We had kept going to therapy and kept going to therapy and kept going to therapy. And she was IFF, internal family systems, and attachment, and EFT were her primary modalities. And I looked at her and I said, I don't want to schedule the next appointment. I think I'll let him do it. 
And we both knew what that meant. I mean, he was showing up to therapy, but outside of therapy, there wasn't much more action to be taken. So I kept losing trust. I kept losing trust, but had tons of hope. I'd been raised on hope. Every six months, we were relocating to a new home, to a new state. Sometimes in the middle of the night, we would just pack our bags and we split. So I had been raised on, okay, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, the next place, the next place. He never made the appointment. And that's when it changed because it was May. And I said, okay, if he hasn't made an appointment by August, then I have all the information I need. So I think when it transitioned from hope and expectations and desire and striving and what can it be and possibilities and solutions and what can I do next and how can I overfunction and what can I do and how can I do and blah, 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 blah. And it went into what is the reality that we live in? And that was crushing. But all of that energy was being spent to avoid the pain of the reality I was living in. Does this remind you of any conversation that we've had in the past? No, never. Not one. <laughs> never. Not a single one. <laughs> well, yeah. I think early on for us, we, I remember driving down the road, having a conversation with Kelsey, because I, I could tell you exactly where it was on the road. I was talking to Tara Vossen Kemper, who we've had on the podcast, and she was just saying, you know, she would always tease me about uh, that I'm this anxious, avoidant, I have this anxious, avoidant personality type, and she would just laugh at me. And so as I was driving down the road, I was just thinking, oh my gosh, I think I even told you, it's like we're just chasing each other. Because if I was preoccupied, she would avoid, and it would make me want to like, catch her even, you know, like get her even more. And then the more I would go after her, the more she would disengage. And it was just this crazy cycle and same, like it, it could go both ways. So, you know, we could just go this way or we could go that way. So we did, we talked a lot about attachment and not only about our relationship with attachment, but our children and our parents and how that, you know, like how you show up for work in situations. Yes. One of my now mentors, he's undergone some changes, but I remember him saying at a staff meeting, and this is around the same time that I was really sort of coming into awareness of the truth of what was happening in my marriage, that I was over-functioning, he was under-functioning, he was distancing, I was pursuing. And he knew, he knew my number, right? He knew the ways to behave in order to keep me, whether it was conscious, I don't think that he ever had any malicious intent by that time. It wasn't until the divorce when I quit playing the role I was supposed to be playing as far as the facilitator and the over-functioner that it became scary. The avoidant then turned into a pursuer, and that can be dangerous in some instances. So back to my employer, he looked up and he said, well, why don't we just ask Scarlett? She'll do anything. And I was blown away. And I was like, I don't, I don't think that's a compliment, though. What's happening right now? No, thank you. And I had to really assess what am I creating in my home? Why does this man think that I'm just going to show up and do everything that he requests? Oh, because I do. 
I do do that because I'm chronically searching outside of myself for some sort of validation and some evidence of worth because of the neglect, the emotional neglect of my childhood. And so when I look to my own children and I show up in that space and I say, listen, this is my story. This is how it impacts you. This is what I see about your story. Why don't you tell me what your story is like? And it's taken a long time, but they have shared some of their truths with me. And I'm in a place now where I don't have to show up and say, but, 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 but I can sit and I can hold that space and say, oh my gosh, that must have been so painful. What was that like for you? And they be able to convey, I really felt alone, or I felt like you didn't love me, or I felt like you were too busy, or I felt like, you know, and media will say, Ah, that must be really painful. How can I repair this with you? What I've gotten so far is so much better than it's ever used to be. I love where we are now, or just the connection that we have today feels so much more true and authentic than anything I've ever known in my life. But it's partly because I'm willing to show up in that space and say, I really have kind of struggled with some stuff because of how I was raised. And I, I see how that has impacted you. And I would like to do the best I can with what we've got now moving forward. Yeah, I think I grew up, not not that my parents ever said this to me. I mean, obviously, but I think I grew up feeling like love was conditional, you know, on mostly on being good, like being good, being quiet, being whatever you're supposed to be, that you'll be loved by your family or whoever if if you're good. So I think I had this inner voice for years inside of me that was whispering, if only you can make them proud, you know, like if only you can make them proud, then that you'll feel loved. You know, I think a lot of people struggle with that. They may just not have the words to describe it. I remember, and you might not remember, but I remember when you and I were first like developing a relationship, I would say things like you would, you would achieve something and I'd be like, you should be really proud of yourself. And she would like, look at me like, why aren't you proud of me? And I'm like, I didn't do that. Like you did that. And so that was like a big, I don't know if you remember that, but I remember you thinking like, I should be proud of myself. Like I'm trying to be proud for other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really unfortunate. <laughs> it's really unfortunate all these little things that we carry with us from our childhood that comes out in ways that we don't even really know. I had never in my entire life had someone say the words that you just said a second ago, Scarlett, until Kelsey came along and said, what's that like for you? And I'm just like, uh, uh, weird. I mean, like well, nobody, nobody's ever asked me that. Like, how, what's that like for you? Or how do you feel? Never, never. Yeah, never. Truly, never have I had that experience. Well, I mean, I have now that I'm surrounding myself with healthier individuals because I've found my own worth within myself through going through the process of grieving what that little girl did not have, which was in part last year. I mean, Anyone who was around me last year saw like this great come apart. <laughs> well, it was was not great. It was awful. <laughs> but it was it was like burning something to the ground. 
to rebuild something much more solid, much more stable. All of that grief, I was carrying around this grief, unbeknownst to me, it was just our baggage, right? Outside of me. If you can imagine like a backpack of grief, and I opened it up and I experienced all of this stuff and the weight of that grief, like I integrated it and it became my backbone. It became the solid skeleton of who I am today. These are the painful situations that created who I am in part today. Not that I identify as a wounded survivor. I don't. I identify as a thriver. But there were those periods of victim, survivor, and I created a whole lot of fucking chaos in survivorship. Right. I was flailing about and I'm like an emotional Edward Scissorhands, like just wherever and what there was like emotional blood everywhere. And then I I got into this place of just like existence. Okay, I'm not harming myself. I'm not harming others. What is going on? Where is my lifeboat? How am I going to swim in these waters from survivor victim to survivor? to existence, to thriving is kind of the circle of it in my mind. That's kind of how it's been. I don't know how I've got off on that, but. I I like the idea of a backpack. That is something like when we're talking about like unpacking things, we had talked about it several times is like, oh my gosh, like look at all of this stuff. And it's almost like you're grieving the sight of those things, right? Like this constant um, cycle of grief. I actually just had a conversation with a colleague about, Grieving doesn't have to be the loss of something. Well, it, it same concept of of grieving your former self or yeah. grieving parts of yourself, even though you change and you become better and healthier, it doesn't mean that it's not sad that one, the old you is no longer there. And two, that you had to endure that. That's grief. It doesn't have to mean that someone dies. Yeah. But you use it as a backbone. How did you, how'd you come up with that? I'm curious. Just that saying. After last year, you know, and it was a really strange or unique series of events that led to this place that I came to in which it was utterly dark. I had not realized how much the chaos of my marriage was prohibiting me from seeing anything deeper or awakening to anything deeper. And so I thought I had grieved all of these things about my childhood. I spent a considerable amount of time shedding tears over what that little girl, little Scarlet, failed to receive as far as nurturance. I mean, I survived a home of two addicts who were in chronic chaos. And I thought, okay, yeah, I grieved that. But then when you take away the marriage and the tension and all of the energy that that took, I was left with, I'm alone. I am 100%. My parents are deceased. I don't have siblings. I'm alone. I've been running from this my whole life. I have been running from the fact that I am all alone in this world and not alone in a way that, you know, we feel lonely. Like that definitely is something, but like a basic understanding of you come into this world alone and you leave this world alone. And I believe in interdependence, but I also have to have the trust of self-reliance, the faith in myself that without 
these external validating factors, my bank account, my car, my relationship, what school my kids are going to, what careers they're going to choose, how good they are on the softball team, what shoes are they wearing, like all the things, right? All the things. Because listen, I got the business. I ended up in a relationship with a really great guy who was very attentive, but turned out to be kind of boring. But hey, there's a whole nother episode on that, right? Like (laughs) um, healthy as boring as what is healthy. So I got all the things and yet it it didn't feel like I thought it was going to feel. I thought I was going to feel fulfilled or I was going to feel whole or I was going to feel complete. And that's where that whole, like Casey and I were talking about it earlier, my therapist said, everything you need to know about life is in Kung Fu Panda. And I was like, for real? I've never watched Kung Fu Panda. Because I was telling her, like, there's no secret sauce. I have yet to find the secret sauce. It is just here and now and me and this. And this is where we are. And this is where we have to go. And there's no difference between me Casey's ability to succeed, Kelsey's ability to succeed, Danielle's ability to succeed, Emily's ability to succeed. I'm no different than any, I'm no more damaged, no less damaged. I'm just another human being. And that is very freeing in somebody who has a limited mindset around, oh, I have lots of trauma. I can't possibly make it because I grew up, I grew up on food stamps, like that whole mentality. And then transitioning into, oh my gosh, I survived all of that stuff. I used to carry it around with me and it weighted me down and it bogged me down, but I learned how to integrate it and stand tall with it. And now this is who I am. Go ahead and try and blow me down because guess what? I've been through a lot of storms. So no, it's going to take a little bit more force for me to get knocked down these days. So I'm not carrying a whole weighted backpack. All of that stuff is part of me. And and a big part of that was going back to all of these losses and truly feeling the emotional experience, the physical experience of loss, because it was too overwhelming when I was a young girl. Nobody would have shown up in that space and held my hand and said, what do you need from me? It looks like you're afraid. How can I help you with this? So you don't have the opportunity to feel that emotional experience. And now... As I turn to my younger self and say, Ooh, I can see that's really, you know, when my inner teenager comes out, like, what? What did you say? I'm coming for you. I can be like, Ooh. yes. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think that we could sum up this podcast in any better way than what you just did. So I'm not even I'm not even gonna go there or try. And I don't know that Kelsey wants to try. I don't definitely don't want to try. <laughs> I do have I have a question. Okay. So Casey, you your thought is that you're disorganized attachment? I do not think that anymore. No. I think that I have more of a preoccupied attachment style now. What do you think? I, I was just thinking don't ask me. <laughs> Um, no, uh, yeah, I think we, I don't know if it's a thing, but I think we kind of shift between one's preoccupied (laughs) and one's anxious usually, but, but just like being aware of it, it really makes a big difference. Just having that awareness of like, okay, now I'm slipping into that preoccupied stage. And what do you think your go-to is? (laughs) Run. Yeah, I'm running. I'm getting out of there. I, 
since being with Casey, we've really talked a lot about conflict and what conflict looks like. And let me tell you, in the past, if there was conflict, I was running and, and not necessarily running away, but like, I'm not engaging. Like, you're not getting anything out of me. Not good, not bad, sad, nothing. Like, I'm yeah, just- that's my daughter. Walls up. I'm good. Yeah. Can't hurt. And it's like a, it, it's a defense mechanism. It's to protect myself because I don't want to say anything wrong. I don't want to be wrong. It's infuriating, honestly, <laughs> because yeah. because I would rather someone just say something. I'm not looking for a perfect answer. I just like, I just want to know how you feel. But for someone that's never had an opportunity or been in a relationship to right. be free to express how they feel, I'm sure yeah. that that's, that's hard. It's a foreign language. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, language. I mean, we're two years into this and it's like, we're just now getting to the point where we can have hard conversations and without her completely disengaging or without me pushing too hard. Cause I just, I'm just looking for the solution. Like, what do we got to do to get past this? You know? And she's just <laughs> like, I just, be, just let me be sad. And I'm like, I don't want you to be sad. I want you to be happy. <laughs> You know, without so much just communication around that topic, I don't think that we would be in this place. And it it makes me think about my previous relationships and no wonder they didn't work. Same. Yeah. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's better. It is. I like being able to do the hard thing of conflict, but also like learning a lot about myself and maybe why am I so anxious? Why do I feel like I need to run away? And she kind of meets me where I'm at when I tell her, hey, this is what I need. I just need to cry. <laughs> I need you to be sensitive. The healing, the corrective emotional experiences that come out of a healthy relationship to hold space as a container, as a vessel of our own personal healing and also the healing of the relationship, I think is so, so powerful. Yeah, I had to learn to build a lot of emotional tolerance because I didn't have any. You know, if someone was crying, I was gone. Like, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. I just don't. But it's it's changed a lot. And if, if, if it wouldn't have been for all of our experience and just the actual work of having these conversations, her emotions would blow me out of my tolerance window completely. Well, I think it's interesting because we have three little girls at home and they're super emotional. They have emotions. All Virgos. They cry. All Virgos. Oh, my God. And... I remember one of them crying about something and Casey was like, oh, like I could just see it all over her face. I was like, what's frustrating you about this? And she's like, I just can't handle it. And I'm a little bit different because I, I don't know, I enjoy it. Like when the girls are, I don't want them upset, but I enjoy like prompting that conversation for them to know, like, I'm here with you. And so we've really balanced each other in a lot of ways. I noticed like if one of the girls are upset, Mamie or Lennon, you're like, okay, what, what do they need right now? And I can see Casey's head spinning like in this direction that it never went previously from, from my Mm So It does. It's not for those of us who have insecure attachment. It doesn't come natural to be like, I see that you're upset and I'm here to align with you and attune. And how can I help you with this? That is a foreign language and it takes a lot of cognitive power, right? To be like, what am I supposed to do here? Like there are times early in this process where I was like, oh, I think this is where I'm supposed to hug her and my daughter. Like this is where I'm supposed to give her a hug. God, 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 God. 
Yeah, it's always great to talk to you, and and I love having these conversations. I think it it just makes us better people in yeah. general, better yes. parents, better women, better mothers, better all the things, all the things. all the things. Yep. Well, we are so happy that you are on, and maybe we'll come back again because I would love to hear more about boy, uh, boring, not boying, boring relationships. Because I can't imagine yeah. you being in a boring relationship. Yeah, me either. Yeah. It was a real weird thing. Yeah. Well, I'm going to make a list of questions. So get ready for those. But yeah, uh, just thank everyone for listening and just leave a review. Like a five star. A five star. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying our podcast and would like to hear more from us, leave us a review wherever you get your podcast so we can keep making great content like this. 